Mr. Robot, Season 3, Episode 6 is still over, but we're just getting started here, taking your feedback on this very special mid-season feedback show on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and joining me in this second half of our Stage 2 Part podcast, talking about Episode 6 and everything that's come before, and everything that's coming next, quite potentially, uh, it's Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio how are you, friend? Hello, friend. Hello, friend. I did not know stage two would be this. I thought stage two would be different. I had no clue that this is what we were going to do. But here we are. Stage two, indeed, of our coverage of Mr. Robot season three, episode six, the first half of the season, more than the first half of the season, kicking off what will be the home stretch of the season. It's hard to believe, Josh, that after that episode this week that there's going to be several more episodes of Mr. Robot. We talked a lot earlier this week about how that felt like an end of season thing. But here we are. Uh, speaking of earlier this week, Josh, I hope nobody missed what we did earlier this week. Well, I hope so, too. It's not impossible that people missed what we were doing if they were just so mad that we uh, that we missed out on the Episode 5 podcast that they just cut their losses with the Mr. Robot coverage here on Post Show Recaps. That would be a mistake, because if you did that, then, hey, how are you listening to this? I'm very confused as to how that is happening. They're back. You're back! Uh, But also, you missed out on a really, really fun podcast. One of my favorite ones that you and I have ever done, Antonio, across any show that we've ever covered. We talked to Cora Adana, one of the great writer-producers of Mr. Robot, one of the co-writers of episode five of season three of Mr. Robot and somebody who I have been chatting with on a weekly basis over at The Hollywood Reporter, doing weekly columns, digging into each episode of Mr. Robot, which we've talked about ad nauseum here. So hopefully you have heard those by now. Uh, but I thought a really great podcast at a really, really important time to talk to Core about what had just happened in episode six, which uh, as we're talking about this podcast, we're about to do as the second part of a two part podcast uh really episode six really felt like a second uh, the second movement of a two-part episode where yes stylistically 305 is so distinct as it all exists in uh that one-shot presentation but the story material of five and six are deeply linked together where that is the execution of stage two and quite unfortunately the successful execution of stage two where thousands of people are now dead in the universe of mr robot stemming from actions that Core was uh, pointing out that I hadn't even really considered yet that so much of this is is on Elliot and so much of this is on so many of the other characters on the show and it's very upsetting and it's very troubling uh, but it's very exciting to to pick apart and it was super exciting to pick it apart with Core and now it's just you and I friend Antonio you me plus a ton of awesome feedback that we are going to cut through as we talk uh, one more time about 306 and just take stock of where we are as we're moving into these final four episodes of season three. Right. It isn't just us, though. We did get a lot of great feedback from listeners, people who listen to that podcast with Core, people who had thoughts, theories, questions, comments about everything Mr. Robot Season 3. You can always send those to us, Mr. Robot, M-R Robot, at postshowrecaps.com. And you, you can subscribe and never miss an episode, postshowrecaps.com slash robot, postshowrecaps.com slash robot. Josh, I need to reprogram my mouth right now. The speaking is just not happening. 
you need to be rewired. That's okay. I Listen, do. we're we're need still to stage two of my, my my mouth of your soul. We're still a little shook, you know. I think I'm I certainly I'm still very shook from yeah. from what happened. Like I still feel like I don't know. Like I'm feeling like this brimming anxiety uh, from having seen the way that this this show has ended and the um you know the very gutsy decision to have the Dark Army's plan go through. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I would love to like kind of like track what we had been saying in the build-up to such an event, but I don't know that I ever really thought that it would actually happen, and that's that's shame on me if that's what I was thinking, or like never really taking it seriously, or at least thinking beyond the scope of New York City and, and uh, the fact that this could be an event that wipes out so many other people and affects so many other people in that immediate, physical, fatal way. Like, thinking back on episode two, right, where Elliot is starting to put the plans in place to keep the paper record safe and secure at the 71 facilities nationwide and you see like in a moment of levity like you see the man who is driving the trucks and you see like the the foreman at the warehouse kind of bickering back and forth about are we supposed to load up the truck are we supposed to unload the truck and all of that those guys are very likely dead now uh you know a lot of people are deceased and it is just brutally 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 tragic and very affecting and um deeply unsettling and leaves us with a lot of questions about where the show is going to go moving forward uh we talked with core about this and you mentioned this earlier that this really feels like a finale level event on just about any other show and the fact that we've got four more episodes to parse through here in mr robot season three is uh, both a terrifying prospect but also a really exciting one it's like i said it's hard to believe that we have that many episodes left considering what we just saw and yet we've got some stuff that we didn't get into this season we certainly have a lot of fallout from this particular action that could cover a season's worth of material when you're talking about all the characters that were involved but we've also seen we've also seen that we have just stuff in this season that is building to a point that this attack will play a part in but it it, it just it remains to be seen from a story standpoint what happens with ddp what happens with Santiago? Her mission has been about finding. There's a lot of these questions on the table. So even though we have built to that point and we've had this big thing happen now and Elliot is playing a huge part in this and we weren't necessarily tracking the all 71 in part because it does feel like it's a pivot by Tyrell at the last moment that weekend before when he says he needs the full strength of the, the Dark Army and the full force of the Dark Army and it seems like that is in response to what Elliot has been doing. So yes, Elliot's responsible in that way, but it really doesn't feel like this was the plan all along. So, I don't know. It just it, It's because it happened the way it happened. It's hard to say we should have seen it coming or it could. There's been a, there were a lot of theories on the internet but a lot of the people that were theorizing about this sort of thing were week to week saying, well, now there's evidence that it's not happening or now the papers obviously in 17 of the facilities made it. And so that's a, that's an important part of this. Elliot did save the one facility. I think at least 17 of the facilities sent their paper there. Certainly not enough to rebuild evil corpse empire, but there is some, there is some aspect of this that is just flat out terrorist attack because even the facilities that sent the paper got blown up. All 71 facilities did. So this is not just about destroying the paper records. This is about just directly hurting E-Corp on some level. 
All right. So we've got a lot to parse through here in this episode. We are going to use your feedback that you guys sent in to guide us here. And I'm sure that we will detour down several robot holes along the way. Uh, let's start on a lighter note because this episode ends on such a dark note that I would love to, to try and find some levity just to like kind of level us off as we are launching into this. Does that sound okay to you? <laughs> Where can we begin with that? All right. Well, Don Malpietti, a great listener of the podcast, sent us a bunch of questions just in that regard to really just try to loosen and lighten the mood here around these parts. So much appreciated to Dom. So the first question that he had written into us was, how did you guys like the red wheelbarrow commercial that played during the commercial break? Antonio, I confess that I did not watch this episode while watching the commercials. Uh, What did you see this? I haven't seen this, actually. Yeah, it's on Reddit. You can you can check it out there. It is interesting. This is not a new thing for Mr. Robot. There have been commercials associated with the show. We talked earlier this season about the Daily 5-9 and the Alexa stuff. They've been promoting eCoin heavily throughout this season. We saw some fun commercials last year during the sitcom-style episode. But yeah, this was a commercial for Red Wheelbarrow Barbecue. It looked delicious, Josh. Mop sauce. It's all about the mop sauce. All about uh, the mop I, sauce. I don't know, Gotta get can... that medallion of power sauce is a very yes, important the MOP. thing. It's all yes. about the MOP. It's, it's weird. There's a lot of weird imagery in the commercial. I wouldn't say like unusual but it's a lot of real close-up shots of people eating a shot of a rotating milkshake like that looks like an eye or some kind of thing so i don't know certainly not uh certainly not a normal commercial uh but it's very much in keeping with what mr robot has done before for sure by the way, what are we supposed to think about Red Wheelbarrow? Is that a is that like a, just like a local restaurant? Is it a chain? It's is North a, Carolina's best barbecue, according to the commercial. Is it a franchise? Because if it's a franchise, and if this operation is named Red Wheelbarrow in uh you know by Elliot as a, a an act of devotion to Terrell, uh, as we are led to believe in episode three of this season, like man, the Dark Army can get a franchise going pretty quick. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> right? lost the full force of the Dark Army, Josh. That's what they can do. That's what that's what Tyrell needed them for. He needed them to expand the Red Wheelbarrow franchise so that his legacy was clear before he became captured for the terrorist attack. Uh, he needed Red Wheelbarrow everywhere uh, so that oh he could God. get it like WeeBay in the wire. He could request a couple <laughs> sandwiches when he was being questioned by DDP later. He's going to need a couple more sandwiches. He'll cop to every single crime imaginable. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it is weird because Ellie earlier in the season said red wheelbarrow did they get that from me or did i get that from them there is the red wheelbarrow moment in the finale where elliot pieces together where tyrell might be hiding when he sees the bag in angela's office so it is more than just clearly it was the hiding spot for tyrell so it's more than just a barbecue joint Uh, but there's this weird thing about red wheelbarrow josh and users on reddit have noticed this and it's unclear if this is an inconsistency or if it's one of those berenstain things that the the flyer that Mr. Robot was hacking the code on last season, the Red Wheelbarrow flyer, first time we heard about Red Wheelbarrow, has a different address for Red Wheelbarrow than the Red Wheelbarrow that we're seeing in the show this season. Now, the, the, the clerk at Red Wheelbarrow, when talking to DDP this episode, said we had our grand opening a couple months ago. So is that the only location? Are there multiple locations? If it's North Carolina's best barbecue, as you're saying, is it a chain? Who knows? I don't know if we're going to see more about Red Wheelbarrow, if it's just this thing that now exists in the context of the show. One thing I do know is Hamburger Guy loves it, Josh. 
Hamburger guy loves it. Can't wait until the hamburger guy flashback episode. It's going to be really fun. Uh, this is another light question from Dom. Speaking of, uh, not DDP, Dom Malpietti. Uh, speaking of sort of, um, you know, mascots of Mr. Robot to a certain degree. Let's talk about Flipper for a second. Well, let's be careful with this. I got in trouble with this last episode. From Dom. Dom says, I've never heard it confirmed and don't believe you've talked about it, but is Flipper's name a direct reference to how Elliot it flips between himself and Mr. Robot. Oh, I hadn't heard that before either. I I thought it was like Flipper the Dolphin, but uh, I don't know why the dog would be named Flipper. Like, what the heck's going on there? What is it? Pinball? What? 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 what where's Flipper coming from? I think it's like uh, you know, it's it's cute that. Elliot had Qwerty the fish uh, and has a dog named Flipper when you would think that it would be reversed. Like I remember in like the early days of watching Mr. Robot that I would just get them mixed up in my mind all the time. <laughs> that the fish should be named Flipper. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Neither here nor there. If you want to say that that's why it's called Flipper, uh, I think that you are entitled to that. This was another one from Dom who says, this is a question mostly for Josh, but maybe Antonio, you can weigh in as well. I will. I've lived in New York my whole life, basically, and I've never walked past a store with a TV playing in the window. It's something you see in TV and film all the time, especially set in New York when they want to show news of some world event. Josh, what are these stores with TVs in the window? Are these a real thing or just something we've seen so many times in storytelling that we think it is a thing? Um, great question. I do believe it's a thing in Canadian New York. I don't know about <laughs> actual New York. No, oh, come on. Mr. Robot is filmed in actual New York. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because it's such a pervasive thing in storytelling and in television and film, as Dom points out, that uh, I can't tell if like I actually have walked past one of these stores and seeing TVs playing in the window in reality, or if it's all just in my mind and I'm in some kind of simulation. Right. I'd like to say that I've done this, but I also thought it was Berenstein Bears. So what the hell do I know? Yeah, who really knows? Uh, all of these are obviously very goofy questions to kind of just get us through here. And I think that they build up nicely to this final question from Dom, who says, even though the past few and really during the whole series run episodes have been heavy in nature, they build tension, but then they break it with these funny moments, i.e. Elliot emerging in the room with broken computers and some dude just standing there shook. How important do you think these moments are to keep the show from getting too dark? Uh, I think that it, they're probably incredibly vital, don't you? you think Antonio like don't you think that that is kind of the secret sauce of Mr. Robot where this is a dark show and this is a show that has just uh has just murdered you know thousands of people across the country uh by the end of this episode in this really 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 super disturbing harrowing moment but it feels I think even darker and this is something that we talked with Core about and Core um elaborated on when I spoke with him again for the weekly column that we do on THR that having that momentary victory for Elliot even is so vital to like feeling the full depth of despair right. that you get at the end of the episode. I think that without these lighter moments, you don't really earn the impact of the darker moments of Mr. Robot. Yeah, I mean it's that that's pretty standard stuff, right? Like with that, you know, without the light you can't really judge how dark the dark is. Without happiness, how do you know what sadness is? The the two things juxtaposed together present that ironic or or just that direct that direct relationship which lands 
the the moment so much more as you're saying like it it is much more of a gut punch because your gut is vulnerable because you're exposed because you feel like maybe it's going to end on a happier note and the great thing that i think they did at the end of this episode is there is a lighter moment maybe elliot and mr robot are on the same page the music cue is a little light elliot's walking on air a little bit but we as the viewers can see that things aren't right. We've seen Angela and Darlene looking at their phones, for example. We've seen Philip Price being called away at Mar-a-Lago. We've seen all these things happening. And we can see in the background what Elliot does not immediately recognize, which is that people are looking at their phones and are affected as a group by something. Everybody is experiencing this thing together. And we're seeing that, but Elliot's not. So that not only are we juxtaposing the light in the dark, but we're building with this anticipation. And that makes it an even bigger gut punch, too. So I I do think the levity is important. I think having characters like Samar in the background ranting just in momentary things that you hear. Uh, we had that with Ollie in season one where he's talking about you like music. I like music. Maroon 5, like the things that are happening while Elliot is in his own head are very important to just pop in from time to time because, yeah, this is a dark show. And. Josh, you and I podcasted about the leftovers a lot on, on this website on postshowrecaps.com. And it is interesting that, that some people have said that about the leftovers. You can make a very successful show and not have those things for sure. But Mr. Robot does a really good job with this juxtaposition and they get a lot, they get the most mileage out of it. I thought Cora had some great things to say in our podcast uh, that we did with him about these, these juxtapositions and about how you can, you can build that into the writing and have these, these things that that really make these moments land. Uh, so that's uh, that's uh, the, Mr. Robot does a really good job of that, I think. And there are very funny lines, very funny line readings. There are scenes that are written for comedy, moments that are there for comedy. But you got to make these big moments land. And I think they certainly did that at the end of episode six. Speaking of the end of episode six, Josh. Bobby from Jersey wants to talk about where we go from here. Bobby says there are two things I'm really wondering about. The first one is where do we go from here? One thing is for sure. White Rose just created a lot more enemies, including Elliot, Mr. Robot, Angela, Dom, and Philip Price. What are the chances that they all join forces and reign chaos on White Rose? Probably wishful thinking, but I don't see how else they defeat her. Josh, is this? Uh, are we seeing Mr. Robot Civil War? Is there going to be a big team up here? <laughs> People on opposite sides? Is there going to be a fight at an airport somewhere? Age of White Rose. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this is all going to come together. Are we going to see? Uh, I, I mean, it's it's listen, Marvel would be my preference, but Justice League might be more relevant, uh, given that it has just been released. No, it I don't know. Be relevant even now. Go ahead. You, you know, <laughs> I think it's interesting. Uh, the question of where do we go from here is a really fascinating one where you really have to think about, like, where are things logically going to fall out from this? Like, who's going to get blamed for what what is the shape of the world going to be moving forward here uh david baker had also written in with a very similar question of do you see the show shifting from a battle against evil corporate america to a battle against the dark army if so who would make up the opposition forces um and i i'm very curious about 
where this could go. Uh, do you imagine that Elliot is going to be able to shake some sense back into Angela and Angela seeing the magnitude of what has just happened uh, will wake up against White Rose or is she going to double down? Is she going to be more committed? Um, what's going to be the next move for Darlene, who may feel really shook from the fact that she didn't alert DDP and the FBI to what was happening, that stage two was a possibility. You got to wonder, like, could this have been averted if they just had some indication of, you know, what was really, you know, if not specifically what was in the works, that something was in the works. Um, you know, what is what is going to happen with Terrell uh, based on what he may or may not have read in those instructions that Irving gave to him? And we'll talk about that in more detail a little bit later is um, is Philip Price going to be some sort of more sympathetic figure, which I think was an interesting conversation that you and I had with Core. Like, can you imagine the universe where we are finding some measure of empathy for Philip Price after what's just happened to E Corp? Um, so I don't know. I think that a lot of this season already had been about Elliot kind of reconciling the fact that there is some necessity to E-Corp's existence, that there is some level of this, you know, this agency has to exist. It doesn't have to be evil, but it has to have some sort of um, neutral, stable presence in the world in order for the world to keep ticking. So if he has already kind of come to that place in his war against corporate America, are we done with that topic? Is it less about that? And is it more about now we have to fight back against White Rose? That does feel just a little bit more Avengers-y than Mr. Robot tends to deal with. What's your instinct on that? Where do you think the direction of the show is going next? Yeah, you're pointing out Elliot's already headed in a direction where he feels like he's had to play a better part in the whole beginning of episode two sequence with the uh, with with everything that was happening at E Corp, and he's uh, he's shifting into his new sensation by that uh, famous Australian rock group. What's their name again? Don't ask me. In excess, okay. I believe. Is In that excess. correct? Yes, yeah, that's correct. That? Nice job. Nice that? job. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I'm an asshole. It's very uh, hard. Very difficult for me. Yeah, but but that is uh, that's where he's been. That's where he's been this season, as you're observing. And it now is a situation where he may still have that viewpoint, where he has to work with E Corp and he has to play a role. But he also now views himself as a flaw in that plan, where it's his responsibility, it's his fault. So is he going to do that? And the Angela part, I think you're asking about is the interesting thing too because she's so she's so full of true believerism and she's so stuck on that this is the right thing to do and of course it's because she wants it to be true we saw the beginning of this sixth episode but we've also seen in previous seasons including at the end of episode nine in season one where she's flat out telling Elliot, like, I don't take this the wrong way, but I wish I could see my mom again, even if she was imaginary. And so Angela is very desirous of this alternate world that White Rose has hooked her into. So is she just going to double down now? She was very clearly lied to. There were no evacuations. And it was her actions, although she took them herself. She didn't let Elliot do it as the Dark Army requested. That probably led to the direct ability to blow up 71 facilities. So you got to imagine that that's going to weigh on Angela very differently. But as far as where the show goes from here, I mean, look, the show has already has always been 
this pitched battle, the brinksmanship between Philip Price and White Rose. We got that great scene in season two that we reference a lot with I will reign chaos. That is uh, that is Philip Price that Bobby from Jersey referenced in his question, where that is ultimately Philip Price and White Rose at, at loggerheads, at odds. And we see them put down their swords, as you're pointing out at Mar-a-Lago this, this past episode. But you got to imagine, like now that this has happened, this is a, a quote-unquote slap on the wrist for Philip Price, but he's probably going to gear up. And I thought we had, this is an interesting question that you're going to be better versed about uh, than I will, because this is not one of my favorite movies justin holcomb wanted to look at the show this this show in the battle between white rose and philip price as a jumanji like reference <laughs> and we're not talking about the reboot of jumanji listen uh, i'm an anaconda man i don't know if i'm a jumanji man but let's give it a whirl well we're gonna figure out who's on the side of the anaconda snakes josh indeed, justin indeed. holcomb says so mr robot is no stranger to paying homage to other movies and tv shows they're also teasing some kind of time travel element this season is it possible that white rose and price are just playing their 12th game of Jumanji. In that movie, when the game was won, everything went back to normal. Yet we see that the players all retain their memories in the future. Wouldn't that give Price and Rose the ability to easily amass their great wealth and success and give them the opportunity to always reset until they build the exact future they want? This could also explain why they're using Elliot, even though they could probably use a more reliable hacker. Also, it could explain how White Rose was able to convince Angela so quickly and so passionately uh, get Angela on board with the Dark Army. Also, if this is a scenario, I think White Rose is winning. Well, Josh, yeah. I will say that seems clear, right? White, right? White Rose is winning. Well, it certainly looks that way, but I'm, I cannot wait to see um, almost more than anything else. I'm really excited for uh, the next Philip Price scene um, just to see like what his reaction to stage two is and what his reaction to this act is uh, like. Is it going to be pure despair and rage? And like, was this a guy who was not seeing this slap on the wrist coming or is Philip Price who, you know, claims to be at least one of the three most powerful people on the planet in any room on the planet is he did he do anything that is like steering into the curve that we're gonna see so i don't know i mean certainly it looks that way right like it absolutely looks like we are getting into the territory where uh white rose has just like absolutely gotten exactly what she wants and price is going to be pretty powerless moving forward but I don't know. I, I'm, I don't want to underrate Philip Price. I don't want to underrate Philip Price's ability to steer through the chaos, especially as a mercenary. Uh, yeah, so that's a be, merc. That's what he said. Yeah, he's a mercenary. But, but I think in terms of like the whole, all of this has happened before all of this will happen again, if at all. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, this was something that we talked about with core on the podcast about how one of the side effects of stage two being successful and being pulled off and executed in this way is is I think that it really does thrust you into the same, you know, vantage point that Angela has occupied for a little while now, which is I want this to work. Like I want White Rose's plan to be possible. I want this to be undone. I don't want all of this blood on our hands. I don't want all of this terrible, terrible, uh, you know, all of these terrible atrocities to have been permanent. Uh, I would like there to be a world where Elliot can be happy and all of this can be undone. But I think that that has to remain a tension where like that's what you emotionally feel. But you also don't really want it to be true because I think that 
guts a little bit of the stakes of the show and it kind of, uh, you know, uproots, you know, the, the real fangs of Mr. Robot, which is that actions have severe consequences and, uh, you know, you get slapped on the wrist and your wrist shatters into a million pieces. Uh, so I, I hope that this is not the 12th game of Jumanji between White Rose and Price. I hope that White Rose truly, truly, truly believes in her plan and her ability to access parallel universes or whatever it is that Angela believes White Rose can do. Uh, but at the same time, I hope it's not actually possible or I hope that we don't actually get definitive uh, confirmation of it one way or the other. I think that it's just it's better for the show to have that be a moment uh, like a, a real serious point of tension that we are now further along on that path right now because of the execution of stage two. But I think it's going to it, it like it still has to be earned so severely uh, for us to ever really fully go there. And I don't know that that's possible for me. Um, so I'm curious. I'm really curious to see where they take it. But I, I don't think that this is the 12th game of Jumanji, so to speak. What about you? No, I don't. And uh, I think the key for me is that White Rose references before that great scene that we talked about in the rain where the rain chaos and the, the, the swords are taken out and Philip Price is a mercenary. White Rose references and then directly pees on the grave of the previous CEO of E-Corp. So I don't think this has been about White Rose and Philip Price all along. I think Philip Price is the current king, but that White Rose has been operating in, a, in, in and on her own uh, as Minister Zhang and as White Rose for a longer time than Philip Price has been on the board in that role. So the, the the interesting part, of course, is that White Rose is not really incentivized to kill Philip Price directly, that she's tempted to do it at that in that moment in season two, but that Philip Price rightly points out, like, taking me off the board is not going to do you any favors. Like this E-Corp is in such turmoil that you can't guarantee who's going to be replaced uh, or who's going to replace me, and I don't think it's going to be one of these positions where ultimately it's going to be favorable for you. I look at it in a Harry po- through a Harry Potter lens. Like this is White Rose is some sort Harry of Harry Potter mi- spoilers coming up. Harry Potter spoilers well, I'm not spoil anything about it. White Rose is some kind of minister of magic and Philip Price just comes along as a muggle and doesn't realize that there are magical elements in the world. And then White Rose minister, is like minister oh, Zhang of yeah, magic. Oh by the way, right. Yeah, oh by the way, let me just pop out of this painting and let you know what's up. Like I think that Philip Price probably took this job as the CEO of E-Corp or ascended to this position perhaps not fully realizing what he had to deal with in in White Rose in in Minister Zhang, and now it's a much different it's a much different ball game. And so I don't know what Philip Price's end goal, other than being the most powerful person in the room, is. Edward Morris asked us, "What do we think is going to happen to Philip Price going forward? Will he know this is Zhang's doing?" I think that that's uh, going to be obvious. I don't know. He didn't seem to know that the hack was Zhang's doing. I didn't think uh, he blamed it on Tyrell, and I don't know that I don't know where that's going to go ultimately. But he's got to think that this is Zhang's doing the way that this has built over the course of this season and their direct confrontations. They were they were on good terms, though, the last scene we saw them together. So it, it seems like maybe he's let some of those bygones be bygones. I'm I, like I said, like I cannot wait to see where we go with Philip Price next. And what I hope um, beyond some other stuff that I'm sure we're going to get into in just a second here. But what I really hope for Philip Price is that I hope he was blindsided by this. I hope that he didn't see this coming. I hope that Philip Price isn't really one of the top three most powerful people in any room he enters. Uh, and if he is, it's purely because of his position and not because of his actual capabilities. And I want to see who that guy is once 
his power has been taken away from him. Uh, I think that there is a really fascinating character waiting to be delivered in that version of Philip Price and to really see him go full mercenary. And what is he going to do? Is he going to be somebody who just watches the world burn because now he has nothing left to lose? Is he going to be somebody that White Rose has underestimated in that way? Somebody who can, you know, create some chaos and cause some damage to White Rose's plan in a way that White Rose maybe wouldn't have anticipated because she underestimated Philip Price in that regard. I want to see Philip Price find that level of power. I'm not really convinced that he necessarily is going to be able to deliver on that. I think that there is a lot of potential for a very sad version of this character. Don't you? Like, I think that there is a version of Philip Price who is kind of the pathetic old man who just got his world rocked and isn't going to be able to rebound from that. Not that you necessarily should feel, um, you know, bad for the guy considering he's kind of a shitty person and has presented that way throughout his time on Mr. Robot, but somebody who you can, who you can see new sides of yeah. and somebody, somebody who you can, who you can see at a low right. and like have that feel like emotionally gutting, even if it's, you know, you kind of, you know, you, you got what you paid for type of deal. Um, but I want to see that version of the character, I think would be a really spectacular performance performance from Michael Christopher in the making. So curious, really, really curious to see where they take it with Philip Price. Yeah, I brought that up with Core because I think that this this huge event, the stage two execution and the fact that it is a terrorist attack with casualties in the thousands and that Elliot felt responsible and that Angela might feel responsible and that Darlene might feel responsible and that Tyrell has some role in it. There's going to be things coming to bear for him and DDP and Santiago and everyone have this thing that has happened and Irving and uh, yeah, we just can go on and on. Price is the one maybe that I'm most interested in because there is the opportunity here opportunity here to make him more of a multidimensional character. There is an opportunity here for him to actually get some sympathy. We saw him parading around almost happily at the end of season one uh, when the E-Corp executive shot himself on live television and Philip Price said his family's probably better off. Like he has not been a guy that we've had a whole lot of sympathy for throughout the course of the first couple of seasons. He is a guy that we've painted with this evil corporate brush. And yet when you talk about disintegration and you talk about the themes of season three, uh, Elliot's view of these corporations as purely evil has disintegrated to a point. So it follows in a necessary line that our view of Philip price might disintegrate slightly and i think that this opportunity is there because of the terrorist attack that was perpetrated against e-corp like you said if he's in the dark if he's actually a victim if he's really upset about this sort of thing if this is something that that shakes philip price to his very core uh, if this was a big l he's taken an l on this one that, that's a great opportunity i think for michael christopher who's a fantastic actor to get more to do than just be this this crazy powerful awesome dude Dude, uh, who has these horrible and and these these insane moments of machination where he's just above everything? I think this is an opportunity to see what he's like in the trenches, and I'm I really too am fascinated by that. But there are also more opportunities that some people think are on the board with Philip Price, Josh, the Jumanji board. Tom Tumillo said, let's hear about the theories that Philip Price is Angela's father. And wow. there are these theories all over Reddit. Uh, and they've been, it's been talked about a little bit. Uh, we know Angela's father's in the show. We've seen Angela's dad. We've met him. We saw him in the flashback uh, here. But Angela's got some issues with her dad. She certainly has issues with older men. And Philip Price has been this benefactor or mentor of hers throughout the context of seasons one, two, and three. So what do you think about this? Uh, 
Are you buying this at all, that there's an opportunity here for Philip Price to be Angela's actual father somehow? Well, I think to, to kind of reset why this is now a newly relevant talking point is there is that opening scene in this episode set at uh, Angela's mother's yes. quote, quote unquote going away party. Speaking uh, of benefactors, right. Right. And, and she learns there that there is a, an anonymous benefactor who is basically willing to probably pay for her treatments. It's kind of cut off. It's kind of murky. Uh, and I think ah, that there murky, are... Murky, is it? <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. It's definitely Philip Price then. Just a little bit. And Edmo had written in and asked if that might be White Rose as the benefactor. And I don't think that that's completely off the table. But I feel like Philip Price probably feels like the likelier option uh, that Price, given his attention um, and interest in Angela, uh, that I think that like you could you could tie these two threads together and it feels like it would be fairly neat. Um, and I don't know. I think, you know, look, if Star Wars is a influence on Mr. Robot and Sam Esmail, creator of the show, has said as much, you know, and has looked at, um, you know, framing season two kind of under, you know, through an Empire Strikes Back lens and has talked about season three as Return of the Jedi, even though it feels like Han Solo just got thrown into Carbonite just now and somebody lost a hand, at least based on what happened in stage two, um, that I think that you could see that whole I am your father type of reveal being uh, rooted in a Philip Price reveal as Angela's father, I think would be interesting. But you and I were kind of batting this back and forth a little bit before we hopped on the horn. You seem to be less out uh, or more out on this possibility than than I am. Uh, why is that? Why aren't you fully in on the idea that uh, that Price could be Angela's father? Well, there's certainly the strong possibility that Price is the benefactor. That's always that. When I first heard about the benefactor, my thought was that there's a great opportunity for it to look like this. White Rose creates a problem that causes these major problems for Mrs. Moss, for Mr. Alderson, for all these people that end up dead. And Philip Price feels bad and anonymously tries to step up and help these people. And he's doing it anonymously as a benefactor, even though it would hurt his corporation. That's part of the anonymity. He feels bad about it. He can play this role. And he's aware of these people that were impacted by this sort of thing and and doesn't want to stick his neck out because that would be corporate responsibility and all these things. But he wants to take care of them anonymously. I love that idea. As far as the possibility that Price is the father of Angela or is Angela's dad, you can read a lot of those scenes between Price and Angela in different ways. When Angela first meets Philip Price, his very first scene on the show, she's got blood on her shoes and he's telling her, like, you should go home. But if you want to come to this press conference later today, you should also come to the press conference. And she eventually does come to the press conference. And at the press conference, or right before it, she says to him, like, why am I here? It doesn't make any sense. You know who I am, right? Like, you should not be letting me work here. And Price basically says, like, I find you refreshing. You're exactly what we need. And she balks at that. And he says, let me give you a word of advice. Learn to accept a compliment. And there's this weird relationship between the two of them. But you could read that scene as, well, the reason that you're there is you're his son or you're his daughter. And he wants to watch over you. He wants to take care of you. And so then the subsequent scenes, like when he asks her out to dinner at, where is that, Josh? Is that Fidelio's? I think it is. (laughs) Fidelio! 
Yeah, I don't know if we should talk about it. Uh, he asks her out to dinner at Fidelio's for their semi-fredo. It's so good. Uh, and she thinks it's a date. She rolls up all dolled up, and there's other dudes there. And he's weird to her during that dinner. He he's uh, he's doting on her. He shifts conversation from like they're good people to they also did horrible things. And he clearly maybe wants Angela to do some dirty work for him. So their relationship throughout season two is framed in these terms of well he has a secondary agenda with Angela that is evident but his secondary agenda seems to be he wants her to do this thing he wants her to get the contingency drop from the lawsuit so that there will be no inspections of the plant which we now know is housing some sort of collider which is probably not something that is approved or appropriate and that that's why they would want the inspectors gone so he does seem to have this goal throughout season two of of working Angela to the point where he gets what he wants and that's that that removed from the lawsuit settlement. And that is ultimately what happens. We haven't really seen a ton of Price and Angela after that. There is the scene where Price wants to go out for his birthday. And he's, I don't tell anyone that's my birthday, but would you like to go have a drink? A lot of people think that the Price as Angela's father uh, theory is dead on that ground alone because he's creeping on her. He's hitting on her. But that could just be a dad asking his daughter to come hang out with him. And that's why he's actually telling her that it's his birthday. It's really hard to say but the part for for me that that doesn't ring the most true is that we don't it does not seem like price recruited angela to e-corp the way angela ended up at e-corp is she took on terry colby stood up to him impressed terry colby and terry colby recommended her and that seems to be how she ended up at e-corp so if she really was price's daughter and price wanted to massage her or steer her to e-corp i'm not sure it would have played out on the show the way it did that's the part that strikes me as the most uh, unlikely part of the whole scenario is that dad did not bring daughter angela to work that would have been terry colby and it did it in a very unsavory way. That's the other thing. Like, are, do, are you you really want this guy out there doing your dirty work? I know he's the last honest man, Josh. The last honest man. What about is there is there any way that like Philip Price is Angela's grandfather? Is that impossible that he's Angela's mother's dad? I suppose. I don't know if he's old enough, but I suppose it's possible. Uh, I don't know. Time, time in this show is hard to, hard to say what time presented a young Philip Price, the low those many years ago. Uh, I really don't know. He doesn't seem like he might be old enough to pull that off, but it's, it's hard to say for sure. I think a lot of people are reading that you're right because when the benefactor is mentioned, Mr. Alderson or Mr. Moss gets up and walks away. Like he doesn't want to hear it. And if he doesn't want to hear it, then clearly it's a sore spot and maybe it's a sore spot because the benefactor is the father of the the daughter and it's not actually Angela. So that's certainly an interesting possibility. I, I mean, I think it's more likely that the benefactor is Price, uh, although it, it's it's possible that it's White Rose. Edmo, Edward Morris wanted us to talk about whether the benefactor was possibly White Rose. What do you think about White Rose as the possible benefactor? Um, I mean, White Rose clearly has an interest in Angela, but I feel like, I don't know, the way that White Rose spoke with Philip price about angela uh just a few episodes ago <laughs> right <laughs> you know it doesn't really doesn't really line up for me and that um, might be why it's a big button for price if that's his daughter like that and, and especially if white rose knows that that is a huge i mean white rose refers to uh angela as philip price's pet project but uh it's possible that white rose knows that angela is more than philip price's pet project and knows that she might be the best leverage to use against philip price so you're right the way white rose 
was talked about uh, Angela definitely does not make White Rose seem like he cares about Angela and also makes it seem like White Rose knows that Philip Price cares very much for Angela. So that, I guess, is a point in the Philip Price column. Well, while we have, uh, I, I'd like to keep talking about the party, but just as a, a kind of a side trip, this was a fun one from Snapdragon, since we're talking about White Rose. Uh, Snapdragon writes in and says, most of the cast has lost a significant other and or parent to a tragic and untimely death. White Rose seems to have used the promise of time travel to gain Angela's complete loyalty. Do you think this is something White Rose will use to motivate the others? Like, is there any chance of Elliot and Shayla living happily ever after? or Darlene and Cisco, uh, or Terrell and Joanna, uh, for instance. Um, and so I, I feel like my feelings on the matter of like the feasibility of that are pretty clear that I hope that that's not where we go. Though I think that because of the way Mr. Robot is presented, that there are visually interesting ways of accomplishing those ideas of like, uh, whether it is a vision or some sort of, you know, hallucinatory experience that we are seeing where Elliot could be seeing Shayla and getting some feedback from Frankie Shaw's character in some sort of in his own head type of way. Like, I think that all of that is definitely on the board as possibilities for what we could see. But what I think is, is almost more interesting to consider with White Rose is the fact that we have to know what White Rose showed Angela pretty soon, right? Like, given that this has just happened, given that stage two was just executed, and Angela's already shook before finding out that thousands of people are dead after this incident, and Angela's with Darlene, you got to imagine there's got to be a scene coming up really soon, right? Where Angela reveals what White Rose showed her. Am I wrong on that? Or is your instinct that like, I feel like Mr. Robot can't withhold that from us for too much longer. I think that that would feel really, really cheap. It certainly seems like something with what Angela will now be processing and going through that should come to bear because ultimately if, if thousands of people have died because of something Angela did, what White Rose showed Angela better be pretty damn powerful and convincing for us to accept anything from Angela other than absolute and total freaking out and wanting to go right to the FBI and say everything she knows about White Rose and the Dark Army and just completely turn states because she feels that she's played a role in all of this. There has to be some serious power in what she was shown. And look, it was certainly enough to convert her, but she was talking about evacuations and nobody getting hurt and we're going to be able to reset this. So if she's going to double down and say that we can reset all this stuff, well, we probably do need to see why she so strongly believes that or I think we start to lose belief in Angela as a feasible sane decent like a person who we can expect some sense of normalcy from and that that means that that we lose a lot of the impact when Angela's Angela's going behind Elliot's back we lose a lot of the impact of her as a normal character again because of that juxtaposition if you just take her so heavily in one direction I think you lose the ability to play in that nuance and deliver a lot of the most significant moments for that character. So I do think we're going to need to see it before the season's over or to really have some greater discussion or specificity right. of what was shown. We don't necessarily yeah, she can just need talk to about see it. it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like right. she has to talk about it though at least. Like you can't just like keep talking around it, especially now and 
now that Elliot knows that Angela was in on this, uh, like she's got to fess up, yep. you know, and even if Elliot and Angela don't, you know, reunite anytime soon, because I think that there is, uh, and this is something that we haven't really talked about that I think is worth, like Elliot could be a very wanted man very soon, yeah. right? Yeah. Like Elliot, Elliot could be in deep shit, you know, pretty, pretty immediately, um, you know, could be, could be pointed out as the architect of this attack could be the most wanted person on the planet could, re- could, uh, replace Terrell in that regard fairly soon where it would not be hard to track Elliot's involvement in, um, you know, making that push for keeping the paper records at these facilities and changing what E-Corp's plan was. Uh, Elliot could really be in, in very serious danger there. So he might not even get a chance to interact with Angela uh, in the immediate future. But Angela and Darlene are in the same room right now as we left them. Uh, and I think with Darlene knowing what she knows about Angela and Angela having to react to what has just happened, I, I don't know. It, it, it's it, There's... Unless like that situation is changed drastically where circumstances force Angela into a storyline where she is not having to interact with the people that really know her, like something happens where she and Darlene are forced on the run and they're separated uh, and Angela is no longer dealing with Elliot and Darlene in an imminent way. It's going to be hard to keep that information on lockdown. I think it would be it would be really hard to imagine how they could pull that off successfully. Yeah, I agree. And it it yes yeah, to Snapdragon's question, like all these characters do have those vulnerabilities, but they're going to be in this position where if White Rose is going to use them to manipulate them, White Rose has to be in the position to do it. And you're right, not all those characters are going to be in White Rose's grasp. I, I think Darlene will be directly with the FBI. I mean, we when we last left her, she's calling DDP up. She wants to turn Angela in. I mean, Elliot is on the streets. Like, does is the Dark Army just going to scoop him up? Like, what happens next with Elliot? But you have to be in a position to do those things. And certainly Angela is the one where you're right. Like, we need to find out more about what was happening there to really see ultimately how effective that can continue to be. Because at some point, it doesn't become worth it. You have to really believe that you can hit the reset button on the world, not just that you potentially could if you're able to accomplish all these things in a row you can take a shot at it you have to see some proof of feasibility like there has to be some sort of idea that this is a a marketable program here and i don't know whatever that is uh maybe we've seen it already though josh andrew wants to talk about the angela question andrew said in the most recent pod josh starts to ask a question at 105 13 regarding young angela and never actually asks anything because maybe core can't answer josh what were you going to ask? I was going to ask Coradonna if the young Angela we are seeing in this first scene in Fidelio, 306 Fidelio. is the same person that is interrogating Angela in season two, the same young girl who is in, uh, in, interrogating Angela in that scene. And is it confirmation of White Rose's uh, time travel or parallel universe or whatever possibilities are going on there? Uh, and Cora sensed it and did not want to talk about it. Fidelio being his safe word for anything he felt he couldn't weigh in on uh so we did not touch that hot stove he is keeping that an active question where do you land on that antonio to me it doesn't seem like they're the same person but the fact that court doesn't even want to talk about it hard to get a straight answer out of the guy yeah, it's, uh, it's, Doc Arts, uh, wrote in, uh, you got some Doc Arts on you, Josh. You know, it's, it's Arst, honestly, but whatever. Neither here nor there. <laughs> wow. 
Doc says, uh, after the episode six opening scene, do we have confirmation now that in last season's episode, Python, Angela was being interrogated by her younger self? Could it be a younger Angela from another dimension or another timeline? It is definitely the same actress in both episodes. Adult Angela apparently had no memory of this encounter from her own childhood. Uh, I don't know. If it's, it's the same actress, I think, I think most people are saying it's the same actress. I, I have not personally, have you confirmed that detail? No, I haven't confirmed that detail, and I haven't done a deep dive into it. If it's yeah. the same actress, now I'm now I'm nervous. Now I don't well, like this. It could be the same actress, and it can be something totally different. Like what we're what we just talked about with Snapdragon is White Rose's ability to manipulate, right? And so it sort of stands to reason that if White Rose knows who these players are on the board, that you would find ways to manipulate them. And one of the ways you could certainly do that was with someone who looked like Angela. That could be something that took her aback. You can have the same actor play more than one role in the same show uh it's becoming very in vogue josh these days uh, in fact so it is entirely possible to have the same actor play two different roles and Mm. i think we can live in a world where the same actress plays young angela as plays the person who interrogated angela and it doesn't have to be young angela in both scenes Mm. yeah that's how i feel but it but it makes me nervous and i don't like it well, but then again, how did Angela not remember these things? Like, uh, is it a parallel dimension, Angela? Did she pluck that person from a parallel dimension? Mm. Keep in mind that 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 actress, young Angela, when she was interrogating Angela, adult, uh, in that scene, that actress had fake things. Like, she had makeup scarring, and she was made up to take advantage of Angela uh, and to prey upon her weaknesses or her susceptibility. So it stands to reason that her whole existence, her whole reason for being there was to do that to Angela. It all follows directly in a line from what White Rose said in that scene was definitely happening with that particular character to manipulate Angela. It it makes sense to me that that would just be more along the same lines. And I think that it's uh, it's definitely Lindelof bait. It's S-mail bait. Uh, If we're looking at this and saying, could it be the same character? I'm sure, Josh, if we got our buddy AJ Mass on here with us, he would give us a nice long treatise on how this is is or is not the same character. Uh, I don't know. You just re- you just went through all of Twin Peaks, Josh. Would it be very Twin Peaks of this show to not draw that loop entirely clearly and just leave it out there? But this isn't Twin Peaks. You know, it's not it's not the same show, and I don't think that similar elements though similar elements. But I I don't know. I I think that the themes and the you know without spoiling Twin Peaks, which uh, I can't recommend to anybody. But if you choose to take that adventure. hats off to you because it's it's so much fun but i cannot guarantee that you will like it so i I can never recommend twin peaks to anybody but if you do it oh my god uh, we can talk about it later uh not neither here nor there but i I think that there are there are themes and plot material that are that are so different between the two that i i just i can't read them sure i'm just talking specifically about the, the ability to have ambiguity without the need for explanation and i think you can have this young angela in this in the interrogation scene and you can have the same actress playing young angela And we never need to draw a bigger loop together on that. It can be belief that we might have that is representative that there's another dimension, just like it is with Berenstein and Berenstain, or just like it is with Mandela or Shazam. Just Uh, feel it does feel very baity to me. Like it feels like it's dangling that out there. Like Warren baity. 
Yes, like Warren Beatty. Like it feels very much like it is out there specifically to like mess with the people who are charting that stuff. If that's the case, uh, and that I uh, that I don't love, that I wouldn't love. But I listen. I will. I will hold out judgment. But this is this is from the moment that we that you know we had that on the show uh, when we had that an- interrogation with a young girl interrogating Angela. From that very moment that that first aired, I have been reticent of this, and I remain so. Uh, so I'll reserve judgment until I see where that's going. But that could potentially be years, you know. Yeah, so according, according to uh, IMDb, the actress Mabel Tyler in 2015 or 2016 in season two, episode nine, Python, played the role of girl, and in season three, episode five, Kill Process, played the role of young Angela. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so we'll see where that's going. We'll see where it's going. We'll see where it's going. But you know, I need to be convinced. I need to be convinced. Uh, All right. Well. Yeah, and that, that, this is what a show that will do the do the dirty work in terms of the convincing. I think if White it Rose wants us needs to, go to there. show me. White yeah. Rose needs what to show me. What would White Rose use to I manipulate you, Josh? I don't know that I could eat tons of pizza and not get fat. <laughs> in this world, pizza does not have calories. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I mean, as long as it doesn't like taste like diet pizza. <laughs> oh man, that's yeah, that's brutal. No, we don't yeah. want that. With like the aspartame. Yeah, none of that for me, please. <laughs> aspartame uh, cheese, it's gross. All right, let's move on a little bit. This is from Ben King, staying with Angela, but now bringing somebody else into the conversation. Edward Alderson, we're gonna we're gonna include in the mix here. This is from Ben. Can you guys break down the conversation between young Angela and Mister Alderson from episode six? There was a heavy emphasis on the word push that got me wondering about the truth behind Elliot's childhood accident. Does this confirm that Mister Alderson pushed Elliot with some intention related to the larger future? plan and what do you think the importance of his fall might be this is the the one of the most hotly debated topics on reddit i feel like just from things that i've read most of the theories most of the questions that people are asking surround the fall and surround whether the events of elliot's childhood actually happened the way we are already being meant to believe they happened or whether there's more to it than that we had the long talk about kevin McAllister in this season where elliot tells krista about the snowman that he built on the day of the fall and then when he brings it up to Darlene, Darlene looks at him like, what, do, do you want to talk about that? And you could read it on one level as Elliot's finally opening up about one of the most terrific days of his life. Or you could read it as that Darlene knows a different version of the story that we don't know. This is fed by the fact that I believe it was on The Verge, the official after show that isn't post show recaps, Josh, uh, on, on USA, on the, on the, on the website that they do for Mr. Robot. They did a, uh, they did an interview with Sam Esmail earlier this season where he said there has been something in the show since season one and people haven't figured it out yet. There's something going on. That's what a lot of people are speculating is the Philip Price is Angela's father twist. But a lot of other people are speculating that it has something to do with the fall going down differently than Elliot remembers. We have to remember that we saw the fall on the show, Mr. Robot, at the beginning of season two. But importantly, we didn't see exactly how it happened. We see Elliot out the window, landing on the ground. We hear Mr. and Mrs. Alderson that we hear it was an accident. Mrs. Alderson's blaming Mr. Alderson. 
We see all of those things happening. Then we go to the doctor's office and, and Mrs. Alderson is berating Edward and basically saying, like, you lost your job. You don't have any money. You're broke. Now we're going to have all these bills. Uh, you're not going to be able to pay them. And Mr. Alderson says, I told you there would be no bills. So we know that there are details buried in these scenes, which probably are relevant to the larger story, which we're trying to piece together. We also know that Mr. Robot does a lot of this circular storytelling where they will circle back to moments that we've seen before and add more detail or add more clarity. And so this seems like certainly a scenario that is ripe for that because the aftermath of this is a guy who, as we see in this conversation, uh, Mr. Alderson is ultimately, uh, seems like a nice guy. Seems like a really good dude. Every time we've seen him on the show, not as a manifestation of Elliot, he seems like a genuinely decent, nice, good person. So did the fall go down the way that he's that, that it's described? And did his dad really stop talking to him after that? It just doesn't seem like the guy that we're seeing on this show. So did he push him out the window on purpose? Was this part of a larger plan of White Roses? Or, Mr. Al- or go ahead. Or did Mr. Alderson not push Elliot out the window at all? And Mr. Robot did from the start. Oh, and then who was Mr. Robot at the start? Was Mr. Robot a manifestation that young Elliot had as a version of his angry dad? Yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, we've certainly seen, uh, you know, we saw Mr. Robot push Elliot off of the ledge in Coney Island way back when. So it wouldn't be unprecedented that this, you know, avatar that he has created for this alternate personality, this other side of himself could have been the one. And then like the language of like, it's an accident, it's an accident. Does that jive with Elliot having pushed himself out the window? Possibly. You caught me taking a drink there. Possibly. Uh, Ultimately, it could be because Mr. Alderson would want to be covering up for the fact that his son tried to kill himself at the end of the day and as a young kid. And the other possibility that a lot of I mean, as I said, if you want to really dig deep on this there, this has probably already been solved on Reddit by somebody making stray comments or a post that got a couple dozen upvotes or a couple of comments in it. But it's probably already been discussed at some point. Although uh, Sam Esmail did say earlier this season that he had not seen it discussed on reddit yet but this has probably already been solved to some extent but there are other people theorizing that elliot is part of some larger plot that elliot was actually part of some development angela too and maybe even darlene were all part of some program that white rose was running that elliot is an exploit in part because he is malware created by the dark army from childhood Right. And that tracks that if if Mr. Alderson allowed his his child or children to be part of this project because he believed in the science of it, it was going to change the world or whatever it was. And that ultimately the negative side effects of it are what caused Elliot to have the problems that he's had his whole life. Maybe that is is something that's going to be revealed. I that is, again, like I said, the most speculation that you'll see on Reddit is is about this particular part of the story. And so there's a lot of possibilities of filling in in the blanks here and it does seem like we're going to go back and get some more clarity on this it was very interesting that the show decided to open this episode from an emotional standpoint with young angela and her mother but also with mr alderson being there and giving this little speech to angela about a push i that couldn't have been an accident mr alderson didn't need to be there they're probably always looking for ways to work christian slater into the show more but i thought that that was a fascinating scene i think one will be revisiting again and again as we go forward here 
Ben Napple had written in a ARG Society member. Uh, he tossed a Reddit thread our way to see if um, if we would give our thoughts on it. And basically, the gist of the Reddit thread, which perhaps you can summarize even better than I can, is basically, what if Edward Alderson isn't dead? What if he's alive somewhere out there? Uh, and I don't know. I had never really considered the possibility that Edward Alderson is actually alive, except for that one time in season one where they make you think that Christian Slater is Elliot's father and is alive. And then you find out in the very next episode that he's a projection. He's a manifestation. Uh, but what do you think of this theory that Edward Alderson might be alive and still working on whatever White Rose's plan is? And when White Rose is saying, then Elliot can die just like his father, that death is more metaphorical than literal. I, I don't see that's the thing is I don't know. Um, ben said he was a member of the ARG society. I don't know how much this plays into the ARG uh, elements of what's going on with Mr. Robot. Corridana has been sneaking those Shakespearean quotes into your articles on the Hollywood Reporter. And I really don't know what the ARG is getting to or getting into in terms of the meta part of the story. I don't know what they're really playing about, especially this season and, and what that's getting into. But uh, that's this is Ben's personal theory, I believe. There's been uh, some good traction on this on Reddit, so shout out to Ben for that. I love at the end of it, Ben says, and remember, it's a theory, guys, not the end of the world. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I love that. That's a great attitude. Beautiful yes, exactly. attitude. Don't get triggered by this. It's only a theory about a TV show. Perfect. Uh, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I It's possible. I don't know. We saw a grave for Edward Moore, or for Edward Alderson, uh, and I don't know who would be in that grave. We haven't seen ultimately what the aspect of that the, that part of the story is does darlene remember her dad dying and her dad's funeral does does angela remember it uh we the, the biggest problem with all of this right and the reason why we have such a hard time and why so many people are theorizing it is we have one of the most unreliable narrators in tv history a character who has actively lied to us in the past for multiple episode stretches and he's the guy we're relying on for a large part of the backstory of edward alderson and mr robot so that being in mind, the, the possibilities really are endless because we've got this character who's lying to us. The grave seems to indicate that Edward Alderson did die. But I, the, the part that I like about this theory, and Ben talks in his theory about how Darlene was kidnapped at one point, which we know is something Darlene says happened on the show. And that anecdote seemed at the time to be a story about how Darlene was so unhappy during her childhood that she was willing to be kidnapped by a crazy lady and was sad that she left. But Darlene mentions as a key moment in that story that she never saw the lady again. And I think Ben rightly observes, is that how that would play out? Like if she was kidnapped and the police arrested her, wouldn't she need to testify? Wouldn't right. she be a witness? Was that woman potentially White Rose? That's a big part of this theory. So uh, definitely check that out. We can put that link in the show notes, right, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll do that. So, uh, you, if you're not a Redditor, you can click on that link and you can, you can check that out. I think there's, as I said, and this is part and parcel to the previous discussion we were having. I think there is a lot of interesting discussion to be had around what really went down when Elliot went out that window, what Elliot's childhood was really like. Uh, and I mentioned how it doesn't really track with Mr. Alderson. Snapdragon had sent us a bunch of those as well. Like Mr. Alderson, let Elliot name his shop, defends him after he steals from a customer 
seems genuinely concerned at the hospital when he falls from the window and is a very gentle and thoughtful conversation with Angela, encouraging her to talk with her mother and ask her to look out for Elliot. So there are so many of these things that don't really track with what we've seen from Mr. Robot and from what we've seen from what Elliot has related about what his childhood was like. So the TBD on that TBD, there's the great one of my favorite conversations is in the pilot where Mr. Robot tells Elliot what Mr. Robot's dad was like, uh, knowing that that's a pro uh, Elliot's projection is Elliot thinking that he thought of his own dad that way. His grandfather, where do we go with this? We have the fact that Elliot's mom is seemingly just mute but not dead uh we don't know what happened there what 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 was the incident that caused her to be where she is that's just this huge part of the show that we have not really mined colton mind for content here so uh, i understand the theories and i like this one from ben i i mean it would be a way to keep christian slater on the show but i feel like mr robot is here to stay at this point yeah, I don't think Christian Slater is going anywhere. I think as long as Elliot is, uh, you know, active on the show, Christian Slater, you know, is going to be playing the role of Mr. Robot to some degree. I can't imagine a version of Mr. Robot where Rami Malek and Christian Slater aren't, uh, you know, continuing to be involved. Like, I don't want to imagine the worlds where Carly Chaikin and Portia Doubleday and Grace Gummer and all of these other fantastic actors are not on the show, but I can envision them, you know, like I can see Wait the worlds. Am I, am I sensing that you want to draft who might uh, disappear before the end of the season? Uh, I don't know that I want to do that. Uh, but look, look, I, I can I, I can see those circumstances. I can't see a world where uh, Rami Malek and Christian Slater are off of Mr. Robot. They are Mr. Robot in Agreed. terms of the people on screen. Agree. Uh, yeah. But that being said, if you would like to do a death draft now that we are at the mid-season point, uh, I would happily do such All a right, thing. I'll it's take been a long well. time. <laughs> well, it doesn't count. It's already gone. Uh, all right. Well, why, why don't we do this? This is something that we do tend to do sometimes here on Post Show Recaps, just to add a little bit of a competitive spirit here. Do you want to do a quick death draft? Who's sure. going to die? For the, and it has to only apply for the next four episodes of Mr. Robot. Uh, we are going to... Why don't we do uh, two people who are going to die in one person who is definitely safe taking uh the the elliot mr robot of it all off the table and since this was your suggestion i will i will give you the floor you get oh, to two pick truths and one lie first. yes i believe i won a previous death draft by drafting Gil- gideon goddard uh which well is, the best thing about this is we never really track it so we never really know. track it yeah, yeah except for really I'm, done, I'm remembering done. that i won yeah right, other than that we never really <laughs> track it. Nah, yeah so the royal we never really tracked it yeah <laughs> uh you should go first if you want then uh, no, I. This is tough because I like you. you I mean, you're I've got saying, a, I've got a I've got a number one pick on the board. So if you're not ready for your to death go, draft, like, go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, okay. So Santiago is going to die this season. So okay. I'm going to I'm going to pick Santiago as my as my death of the season. I don't think that that guy makes it out if you're alive. We know that he has been working with the Dark Army. I think it's just going to be a matter of time before he's found out. Can't imagine that he survives much longer past that. Death. I think that the one thing that I would say about Santiago is he may be protected a little bit by his FBI armor. Uh, he's a very important asset for the Dark Army. However, I and I wanted to. I talked a little bit about this when we when we we podcasted with Corridana. Is that ultimately I feel that Santiago uh, is maybe not anticipating that this attack would have gone down the way it did. It seemed like he was anticipating an attack in New York City that Elliot thwarted, but was he really thinking seventy one facilities? 
Why is he so on board with the Dark Army? What has White Rose used to manipulate him? Uh, I We're going to get more from Santiago before the end of the season. Is it going to be time for him to die? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say... Um, I pick, uh, I'll take the often theorized on Reddit. Uh, I will take, uh, it will break my heart. Darlene Alderson. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to, as your first pick on the board, you're going to say that Darlene Alderson is not going to make it out of season three alive. It's a bold pick, Cotton. Uh, I hope that you're wrong deeply. I so truly, do I. truly do. And I also think that you're wrong. I can't imagine that Carly Chaykin is going to be written off the show, uh, with only four episodes left right now. But I guess, you know, there's some writing on the wall. She's certainly in a really precarious position right now. It would have a huge emotional impact on Elliot. And I don't know that Elliot can withstand that additional level of grief given what's just happened yeah. right now. I think that that's really hard to put on that character at this point. Yeah, I mean, this is a character who already tried to take his own life. And I certainly, even in the aftermath of what just happened, am concerned he might do the same thing, uh, or he might want to do the same thing. He tried to lock himself up at the end of season one and into season two to, to take himself away from the possibility of creating these things to the extent that he feels responsible for what happened. I mean, I don't know how he's going to bear the brunt of that. Uh, so yeah, that one more move like that would really push him. I mean, for me, it's the, the prophecy of the revenge pact. Like That's the part where I felt like a darling fate might have been a little bit sealed when they made that revenge pact earlier in the season. So okay. I hope I am wrong. Uh, for my next pick, I will sealed, take, huh? Kiss yes. by a white rose. I Kiss love by that a white song. rose on the grave. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the more of you, the more I get of you, stranger it feels, Josh. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, uh, now that your rose is in bloom, I will take. <laughs> I will take for my second pick. Uh, give me, give me the patsy. Give me, uh, give me the man uh, who is confessing to his role and saying, "Give me Tyrell Wellick." Wow! Oh my God. Wow. Losing both Darlene and Tyrell in one season. I am not saying both of them are going to die. I'm just trying to draft if one's going to die. Okay. All right. So what what are you thinking is going to happen? We're going to we're going to completely eradicate the Wellick storyline in season three. Yeah, the thing is, I feel like once characters in the beginning of this season with White Rose started by White Rose saying, like, once he's served his purpose, then he can die just like his father did. Uh, and that is a difficult part of, of the, of, of the theory that we heard earlier from Ben, uh, is that White Rose has said that, that Elliot's dad died and White Rose is aware of the fact that Elliot's dad died. There could be an irony in that, of course. White Rose could be saying, die like his father did, quote unquote, meaning go into hiding and pretend to be dead. But, uh, I think it's in entirely possible uh that 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 we've got ultimately elliot uh as some as as some kind of harbinger of just some greater possibility that you can die once you've served your purpose with the dark army and the part of the problem that you have with tyrell is once he finds out about what happened with joanna and his kid i got to imagine he's not going to stay loyal to the dark army this is a guy who was only loyal to elliot to begin with we saw in the the mr Williams, uh, the the interrogation scene, the Battle of Wits in episode three, Josh, that Tyrell was only willing to be loyal to Elliot. He was not willing to be loyal to anyone else. He has now executed this massive attack for the Dark Army, and he seems to be acting like he was held captive and he escaped right before the attack and tried to get them to stop it. We've already seen the image repair for Tyrell try to take place. It seems like they are going to set up Elliot or someone like Elliot for this attack. That means to me, I don't know what role Tyrell serves the Dark Army after a time. And and like Lee Harvey Oswald with Jack Ruby, I could see Tyrell being taken off the board here. 
Okay, well, I will take one more person here for the death draft. Oh, no, don't uh, say it. I'm going. <laughs> Let me just uh, grab one more person on the death draft. Eh? Uh, I think I'm going to take Irving. I think I'm going to take Irving. I yeah, think I'm going to makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm going to take Bobby C. I think, just I think won uh, the death draft. I, I think that I think that you know you can imagine the scenario where Bobby Cannavale signs on to Mr. Robot for one season, promised one really damn meaty season of television, and then bounces out. Uh, so that's my feeling: is that Irving is a great done in one season character. Uh, I don't know what the circumstances involved would have to be for him to get killed off uh, or to be written off of the show, even if he is somehow um, he might he might survive and then just like not be here for season four. But I, I just I don't see the scenario where he is continuing on. Um, in fact, like when I picked Santiago as my first one, I was like, oh, man, I should have picked Irving because Irving's going to go before he comes back to me. I'm surprised you didn't take him. Uh, I think Irving is probably in, in deep doo doo here. Hopefully he gets some ribs for breakfast before he leaves the door. Yeah, I probably should have taken Irving instead of Tyrell. Just, just you're right. It, it makes a lot of sense that, that he's off the board. Uh, unfortunately, th- that's too bad. Hopefully he gets, uh, to turn in his punch card before his card is punched. Uh, and that would be some sweet, uh, victory for him. When you, uh, when you lose your principles, you invite chaos, Josh. And that's certainly what has happened here. But, uh, I wish I could have picked him to be safe. I guess it's your turn to pick who you think is safe. Uh, All safe. All and, and safe. We're, we're taking Elliot and, 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 and Christian like we're taking Elliot off the board. Is that right or not? I think yeah, we're going to take the entirety of Elliot off the board. I think okay. is is only fair. Um, and you know, just to will it into existence hasn't appeared in the season so far yet. Uh, and I will not allow it as a scored point if he doesn't show up at all. How about that? Okay, uh, because it's it's still enough up in the air that who knows. But I'll protect take Mobley. Yes. I'm going to I'm going to protect our boy. I'm going to protect your you. son. I'm just going to protect you. Mobley. And I do think that you know there is some degree of like we've already lost Romero from Epsis. Society, and I think that Mobley is such a beloved character. And I think that you could say the same for Trenton as well. Just like a quietly beloved character here in the F Society side of Mr. Robot. And I think there still has to be some payoff directly involving Trenton and Mobley, given that that was the stinger of season two. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I think he's going to be okay. I really do. I really think that he'll be all right. I, I was tempted to take Flipper here. Uh, Flipper here. Uh, but I, I ultimately, I, I do think that... Uh, I do think that the Mr. Robot gods are cool enough to kill Flipper. Like, I think that they've laid enough track for that. Uh, Mobley, I feel like, is that going to be all right? It's going to be all right. Okay. So I will, uh, I will use my powers to protect or say that I believe that a safe pick here, uh, even though her job is very dangerous, uh, is DDP. I love it. Yeah, and I think DDP, just because if if we talked about earlier, we talked about the Avengers and the team-ups, and we talked about who will be who, uh, who will be on whose side, and what are these groups going to be, and that was Dave Baker and others who were asking those questions, I think you got to put DDP on the force of taking down White Rose. DDP has been obsessed with White Rose. We saw the great scene with DDP and White Rose uh, as Minister Zhang earlier in uh, in Season 2, so I really think that DDP is well position to be a great foil for everything that's happened so far and being the person who has more information the questioner of Tyrell the person who doesn't believe the official story the person who's pushing back against Santiago all those things endanger her but they mean that she's got a great role in the story and I, I just I don't think that we can take her off the board with only four episodes to go or, or in the next four episodes of this season 
Yeah, I'm with you, and I think that there's um, it's such a it, it's such the the obvious move to like kill the uh, like the side character federal agent before they're able to bust open the the plot, right? Like that's right. something that's a hallmark of this type of fiction, and Mr. Robot's very subversive, uh, and I and I feel like DDP is somebody who is. Uh, Got, got more to prove and has been so dogged about all of this that I think to to not let her taste some semblance of justice or at least be able to like survive the injustice. I think that's really important to that character. Uh, I think that DDP is probably safe through the whole show unless everybody gets killed, which is not impossible, you know, in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I guess. But I think that, uh, I think that she's going to be okay for a little while here too. Yeah. She's um, the Hank Schrader of the show. Oh my gosh. All right. So let us, uh, let us wrap up here. Great feedback show. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. Weren't even able to get to every single question that was sent our way. So thank you guys so much for the incredible feedback. We will certainly have uh, more of that to come as we're pushing forward through these final few episodes of Mr. Robot Season 3. Any final predictions you want to make? Any final remarks you've got, Antonio, before we sign off here? We're going to be back in just a couple of days with our 307 podcast. What are you expecting to have happen? Is there any character fallout that we didn't really deal with? Like, Terrell, does he know about Joanna right now? That was something that Ed Moe had written in. Uh, or Bobby from Jersey, rather, had written in, do we think that Terrell knows about Joanna's death? Edmo had written in DDP's main objective was to bring that Terrell. Where do we go with her now? Where do you think that that storyline is going now that Terrell and DDP are kind of linked up? Yeah, DDP knows that information about Tyrell's wife, and you would think that that's something she can use as leverage against him. Uh, and if he doesn't know yet, like right. he's about he's about to find out. Yeah, I don't think he does least. know. Yeah, and I think the I'm sorry from Irving was, as we talked about with Cor, uh, I think that a huge part of that was like, I'm sorry for everything you're about to go through. Like, I'm sorry that you're going to learn about what happened with your wife, and I'm sorry I can't tell you right now because I need you to focus on the task at hand. And I'm sorry you're going to find out the way you're going to find out. Uh, and so all of that is on board. Uh, Tyrell's going to act, I think, like he was a captive. We saw the handcuff to the bed, uh, and uh, we saw that play out the way it did with his suit. I just, I think the way that that scene was staged and the directions were, like, do this, make it seem like you're a captive, make it seem like you escaped, you're running to tell people to stop this attack, but do it at this particular time after the attack has already happened. So I think that's a big part of it. I'm, I think we're going to Arizona next episode. I think we get the tease from core that uh, Joey badass might be playing a part. If Leon is in the episode, I got to imagine we're out in Arizona and that means Trenton and Mobley. We're going to see what they've been up to. It could very well be uh, one of those episodes that, takes place before the events of the attack that fills in the gaps of what they've been up to in the time like we saw with Tyrell in episode three this season and then maybe gets us to the point of the attack I'm very curious as to who specifically executed the attack and we talked a little bit about that with uh, with core I'm surprised there weren't any questions or comments uh, that we got in about that because I'm certainly tracking what role Mr. Robot may have played in the execution of the attack when Elliot was losing time there it's certainly seems to me like it's at least possible that Mr. Robot executed the attack, but gave himself and AKA Elliot the time to spare their own lives uh, and to not ultimately blow up that facility, but to execute the other portion of that attack. You know, as, as we sort of got into in the last podcast, you have to believe that 
when Angela and Mr. Robot found out that stage two was going to take place on Monday, they were going to be ready to go. You have to believe that for them not to know what was happening, uh, that they just sat in that apartment all weekend, which is entirely possible. It's entirely possible that that's exactly what they did. It's also possible that Mr. Robot went into business for himself, went out there, went to Red Wheelbarrow, found Tyrell, uh, and planned out with him exactly how this was going to play out, that, that Tyrell was willing to deal with that version of Elliot. So I, I don't know. I'm just and that's, what, and that's that. what you think. Is that your, is that your hunch? I'd say it's better than better than uh, I've, I'd, I'd, it's certainly I'm about 50 50. I cannot I cannot be pushed over the edge on it. But I, I think there's a lot of smoke there. And maybe it's smoke. Somebody started on a fire on purpose uh, or maybe somebody started in a barrel on purpose or maybe it's smoke leading us to a point. But I think the question as to what Mr. Robot might have known about that attack and who executed it are open questions on the board because you have to believe what did Tyrell execute it and then run out into the open. It's possible, but I, I just seem also possible that the very person who was sitting at a terminal who we know has wanted to make this his thing uh, is is potentially on board here. That's the question Elliot's asking himself at the end of the episode. Are Mr. Robot and I always going to work together now? Are we on the same page? Was this convenient for him? So I think it's a question that we have to be asking ourselves as well. I don't think that it's just safe to assume that Elliot and Mr. Robot are simpatico now and they're on the same page and I think it's entirely possible that Robot knows more for sure. I think it is not terribly likely, in my opinion. I think I, I buy that Elliot and Robot are aligned right now. Uh, I think that we I think that we saw the reluctant alliance point here when Robot decides to allow Elliot to thwart uh, Stage Two's reach of New York. At the very least, I feel like if Robot knew that Elliot was so dead set on stopping this attack and only knew that it was the New York facility and didn't realize the grander scheme uh, of the like the greater impact of the attack. I feel like Robot would have would have uh, allowed Elliot to stop this a lot earlier. Yeah, that's uh, the problem is why was he trying to keep him away the whole time? Yeah, like I think that like he would have just let him finish that off because like he wouldn't have known to stop the other stuff. And like this could happen at any given moment. And why risk being in the building for that much longer? And I think that there is a genuine look of surprise rise on robot's face as he is you know corresponding with Elliot back and forth and i think it's i think it's more interesting dramatically for the forward momentum of the show if robot feels a little bit bitten by what has just happened here with stage 2 if it was a little bigger than he expected um if it's not you know if he is a little bit more of the revolutionary who wants this revolution to go at all costs wouldn't it be kind of curious to see that like there is a too far uh, for robot even. Yeah. Um, and, and I think to get those two, if not quite on the same page again, then at least kind of both on the same level of like, we got to work together here. We got to figure out what the hell just happened. Uh, like, especially if Elliot is on the run, uh, for robot to be like Elliot's only guy on the run with him, I think would be a really cool dynamic. So I'm of the mind that I think that robot has been blindsided by this as well. I just think that that's great for the momentum of the story, but we'll see. You know, we'll see where yeah, it goes. I mean, what made him most upset uh, when he almost killed Tyrell was the fact that Tyrell was trying to take over this plan, right? Right. And, and make it his. So if this was not, if there was no robot in this and they did just sit in that apartment all weekend and they weren't involved in the planning of stage two in any way, uh, and they just thought all the paper records were going to be there and they were kept in the dark, that's the kind of thing to make a guy like Mr. Robot real, real mad. And I think the other thing, too, is if you have Robot being um, an architect of stage two, 
as it transpired. Uh, if you have robot directly, like intentionally responsible for the deaths of thousands and thousands of people, even though that's not our Elliot, that's going to be really hard to unstick from Elliot. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's going to be really hard to, I don't know that robot needs redemption necessarily, but like that is Elliot. That's part of Elliot. And I think if that is getting washed on to Elliot. That's going to be uh, that's going to be a kind of stink that I don't think that you could ever clean from Elliot Alderson as a character. So I think to have both of those characters pure of that level of violence, I think, is probably a good thing for yeah, moving for sure. forward. Uh, so I'm I'm of the mind that I think that he is uh, he's out on uh, the the gravity of what stage two was, and I I hope that that's the case because I'd really be very I'd be very excited to see how Robot channels that rage if it's. Single up with Elliot if it's like all right you're mad I'm mad let's do something about this together and you know robots like all right F yeah F society yeah like I'm down with that let's do it I think would be a really great cool dynamic for given where these two characters have been uh really basically ever since the revelation you know there was the brief detente in season two the stalemate uh but that lasted very very briefly I would like to see an alliance last a little bit longer than that I think would be really cool yeah I mean we just it's just something we've tracked throughout the podcast is what's robot Robot's main motivation. Like, what is he really pushing Elliot towards? What's he pulling him away from? And when you talk about the detente in season two, he protected him in the sitcom episode. And that was a major moment that built trust between the two characters. But by the end of the season, <laughs> I mean, they're not necessarily in the same place anymore, uh, to put it lightly. So it's hard to ultimately say uh, what the goal is. Uh, and, and you're right. Uh, I think everything you say is very persuasive and reasons for it not to be. But I'm sure there are some things and that are a counter argument that that I haven't thought about uh, or that didn't occur to me in the moment. Uh, but it does it doesn't seem like uh, it just doesn't. I just think that there there's a possibility there that Robot knows more than and than Elliot does. And the question is how much more. But I think you're right. There's a ton more grist in in uh, in Robot having been in the dark on this one. So I hope that's the direction they go in, regardless. All right. Well, we will dig into it as soon as 307 drops on Wednesday night. We will get to podcasting and have a podcast for you guys as quickly as humanly possible. It is a holiday this week in America, in case you didn't know. So we will do our best to, to deliver a podcast in a timely manner, given the holiday this week. I think that we'll be okay here. But we've said stuff like that before. And who really knows? Uh, so thank you guys so much for sending in your feedback. This was a really fun show. Uh, the, the part two of our stage two podcast. Carter. I think it was a success. Antonio, anything else that we need to say before we sign out here? Uh, no, I think that that covers it for us. Thanks, everybody, for the feedback. Certainly very, very appreciated. We'll definitely do another one of these at the end of the season, uh, covering where we might go from from the end of season three. Uh, and we're very thankful for the good response to our podcast with Corridana. We had a ton of fun doing that, and I'm glad everyone seemed to enjoy it. Super fun show to do. Subscribe to what we're doing so you never miss an episode of the Mr. Robot Podcast. Postshowrecaps.com slash robot. Your ratings and reviews would be greatly appreciated very much by both Antonio and myself. Speaking of Antonio, Antonio, you're on the Twitter bots. Where are you? How did they find you? I am at AC Mazzaro with two Zs and one R. Josh, I know you are at Round Howard. And I wanted to give a shout out to our own robot, Taryn Armstrong. Thank you for editing all these episodes for us. Taryn is the king of the mountain, and Taryn is kicking butt on the edit of Mr. Robot. So thank you so much, Taryn. As always, thanks to all of you guys for listening. Plenty of action still to come here on the Mr. Robot podcast in the next couple of weeks. Take care, everybody. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye, friends.